friends, and welcome once again to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert. And I'm Steve McDonough. On every episode of this podcast, we feature a specific food or ingredient, unwrapping the slices of its plastic history, melting down and emulsifying the story of its heroes, and squeezing every bit of cheesy hoopla out of its can. And our topic this week is processed cheese food. Yes, yeah, which, it is. Which, which I... Is- it, Right off the bat, I keep getting confused between processed and process cheese food, um, but we'll talk about some of that uh, overnight. What do you call it? Cheese stuff? I, 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 well, you know, when you see the, the, uh, uh, the labels that say cheese food, when it's labeled as cheese food yeah. rather than cheese, then you're then you got to wonder... Yeah. What? Why do they have to tell you it's food? But that's yeah. as we as we will get into. We'll that, get, I, sure. I always arch an eyebrow with that too. When uh, when the the label requires some uh, deeper investigation, and so we will do that uh, deeper investigation. And I am I'm a huge fan of cheese. Uh, I think cheese is if if I had to pick like top three foods, cheese is probably two of those. Um, okay, I've got a, I've got a cheese story just to start us oh, off. Already, I'm I'm gonna I'm going to get off topic. Uh, I just got home. I was um, at, visiting my mom in Rochester, uh, uh, New York, where she just got a new hip. I had nothing to do with it. I did not put the hip in or anything, but I did go and visit. <laughs> but as I was driving around in the middle of nowhere with my little sister, we passed this cheese shop, and it's a small cheese shop, and they they bring in their own dairy and make their own cheese there. And there's a big sign outside that says, self-serve cheese 24-7. And I'm like, stop the car. <laughs> self-serve cheese 24 7 so we get out of the car we back up we go over there they've got a cheese vending machine nice a cheese vending machine so it's all the cheeses that they make but they're in the vending machine you put in your money and you get self-serve cheese 24 7 yeah i need that i think that should be uh in every city in their charter there should be like a requirement that there should be some access 24 7 to cheese i love it yeah. i could live there uh well that that is awesome and and but let's uh, as we mentioned uh, there's cheese that we think of cheese now, and the word cheese in a normal situation, we are talking about this this thing of beauty, which is a result of this this bacterial process. There's aging involved. There's craftsmanship. There's history. There's culture. There's all of these regional variations, and then of course you have you know what what type of milk it is. There's it's just this beautiful, lovely thing. That is not what we are talking about on this episode. So I'm getting all excited about cheese, but then the anticlimax is that's not what we're focusing on, um, and the t- topic of cheese is so giant that we're absolutely going to do other episodes that cover some of these beautiful artisanal cheese things as we go in into the future in upcoming episodes. But today we're going down this massively industrialized, engineered rabbit hole uh, that leads us to processed cheese, as it is often called, or sometimes processed cheese, or sometimes cheese food, or even cheese product, or uh, cheese spread. Um, But I wanted to take just a second to point out that today's episode was actually suggested by a listener, which I love the fact that we're getting some listener participation. And some of you might know him. He is the the other half of the world-famous Hardy Boys. Uh, Our friend Chef Dan Smith uh, requested this topic, and we obliged. Um, You know him, don't you? I think uh, you've seen him from time to time. We're married, so I just do what I'm told. You do what you're told. No, but it it really was an excellent suggestion, so I just want to throw it out there that if you, listener, have a uh, food topic that you want us to mess around with, uh, please throw it our way. I think that would be a great thing because we we have our— yeah, we have our long list of things, but you know, if you have something like why in the world, let's do it. So, 
let's put that to the side. Now, uh, let's make a quick distinction between um, processed cheese. Sometimes it's referred to as American cheese. And I just want to throw out that um, the title does a great disservice to the thousands of amazing American cheesemakers that are doing it sort of the traditional way. Um, so, but not all American cheeses are processed cheese, uh, but a around the world, sometimes the processed cheese is referred to as American cheese. So I just want to always define terms. So why in the world would you mess with cheese in the first place, right? Uh, it's such a perfect product. Well, it spoils. And after World War II, there was this big nationwide push to make everything more efficient, more economical, and all around more industrial. That was just kind of the vibe of the day. And the art of, of craft cheese making is really the opposite of an industrial process. Although, uh, you know, as the nation grew, we, we had to kind of incorporate some of these industrial um, sort of components to produce that much cheese. Um, so traditional cheese is delicious, but it's also expensive to produce. It's time consuming and it's usually kind of inconsistent uh, in both flavor and texture, especially in the absence of refrigeration. So to move it across the country uh, creates all sorts of logistical issues and it can spoil, right? Real cheese can spoil. So in comes this industrial processed cheese. Uh, as a solution to try to solve some of the quote-unquote problems that are inherent in natural cheeses. And uh, so they've created this food stuff that is cheaper to produce and it's reliably consistent. Um, so processed cheese does contain a percentage of real cheese as well as emulsifiers. And if you don't know that term, that just really, an emulsifier is something that helps kind of blend two uh, ingredients together. And those emulsifiers are include, but are not limited to sodium citrate. Uh, but then they also include, um, other ingredients like salt and colorings, uh, all of these ingredients are scientifically selected to prevent the cheese from separating into its components of solids and fat when you melt them. So processed cheese are, are very famous. And that's yeah. really what we want to talk about with processed cheese is that it's got a meltiness that you can't get out of oh, yeah. cheese. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, isn't that the... Yeah. The That's dreaminess the of a yeah. processed cheese. Oh, the yeah. Okay. Velvety, in fact, and we'll get to that as well. So um, now, again, we mentioned the name cheese food process or uh, cheese product, processed cheese spread. Uh, and that is you know, required by the government uh, because the cheesemakers didn't want this stuff being called flat out cheese. Right. Because right. You know, there's a percentage in there. Uh, you can't just call it cheese. And uh, a, a little note that you found, Steve, I thought was amazing that one of these emulsifiers uh, is something called sodium phosphate. And before sodium phosphate was commonplace in the American cheese or processed cheese industry, it was used to preserve corpses. Um, and I tell you, anytime an ingredient has that kind of a multifunction, uh, you know, on its uh, on its to do list, I think that's pretty amazing. But uh, this led to early 20th century traditional cheesemakers to lobby for industrial cheeses to be known by the off-putting title of embalmed cheese. Um, they wanted to call it embalmed cheese. Yes, embalmed cheese, which, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's uh, you, you make a fair point that uh, that it could last forever by adding this this ingredient. I don't know if that's a bad thing. I mean, I think there's a, a percentage of out there that of us out there that wouldn't mind being embalmed in cheese. <laughs> it's yeah. Just bury me in a big block of Velveeta. Yeah, you know, would that really be so bad? I don't know. We'd have a we'd have a very interesting legacy that uh, here lies would be an interesting headstone. Um, so anyway, that I thought that was a great little aside. So now, how did we get here? Let's let's jump into our history. So 
Uh, back in the late 1800s, we're going to go a, uh, and meet a man named Emile Frey. Now, Emile was a son of a Swiss farmer and cheesemaker who emigrated with his father. Um, so Emile and his dad came to America in the 1880s. And within a few years, Emile landed a position as a cheesemaker for the Monroe Cheese Company in the Hudson Valley. Now, the company's owner, Adolphe Toda, T-O-D-E, I assume it's Toda, could be Toad, uh, he challenged his uh, new Swiss cheesemaker to try and replicate this popular cheese at the time, which was known as Bismarck. Uh, but Bismarck wasn't made in the U.S. It had to be imported. Bismarck was this semi-soft, spreadable cheese, and uh, it was very expensive because, again, it has, had to cross the Atlantic. And because it was a fresh cheese, it often kind of arrived in pretty rough shape, and definitely the expiration date was coming up close. So Emile took on this challenge and he spent two years trying to develop a sort of suitable Bismarck-like cheese. And along the way, he developed this totally new, soft, ripening, spreadable cheese that he called Liederkranz, uh, which became a near instant success. So, All right, hold on. Are yeah, you yeah. going to tell us what that means? Because every time there's a German word, you are like on it and so you know, excited to tell us what, what what's interesting, it means this was actually named after a singing troupe uh, of the time that uh, so i'm sure i don't i don't know that what the um, what the the german name means on this particular ones but it was named not for anything necessarily german but for a group of singers wait a minute he named the cheese after a singing group yeah that which uh I, and i don't have that i didn't write that part that of the notes so down funny. really and it that wasn't in your notes well, I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to you get were gonna to the... leave that shit out. That was like the best <laughs> thing you've said so far today. And you were going to leave it out that he named his cheese after a singing group. Well, look, this and is you were just like, oh, a... it's not important. Steve this won't is, find uh... that fascinating. <laughs> I, I'm trying to get to the destination and not spend so much time on the bus stops along the way because we had a lot. We well, had a lot I'm of enjoying the bus stops. I'm naming all of my cocktails ABBA. ABBA oh, that's one, a great idea. ABBA two. Yeah. Yeah, I would like that. And a, and a cheese that named after Abba would be uh, delicious as well. Um, so, okay, so now, I, now I'm embarrassed I didn't write that, that stuff down. Uh, but so this Liederkranz uh, became, like I said, an, a near instant success. And in 1915, the Moreau Cheese Company was selling as much as a ton of Liederkranz every day. And it was sold in every fine restaurant from coast to coast. And it's kind of strange that we never hear about it now. Like it, it just sort of evaporated. It's not a thing anymore. Um, but that could be in part by its predecessor. So I, I only mentioned the, the Liederkranz because it was so popular that it forced the Monroe Company to open a second factory, this time in Covington, Pennsylvania, to make their other cheeses. So the, the factory in Pennsylvania kind of focused on their Swiss cheeses. And as their their scale grew, they had to sort of industrialize their cheesemaking process. And that kind of yielded all of these misshapen and broken cheese wheels. And the company didn't want to throw those away, right? And you, right. You've, you've heard of fromage fort, like where you take different cheeses and you mix them together with oil and maybe a little alcohol, and you can make this. It's a, kind of like pub cheese, right? You oh, can I make see, these cheese I thought spreads. you were saying that we should take them all because they're all misshapen like oh. stones and make a fromage fort, make well, like a cheese fort. Oh, like a cheese and fort. And hide in there. And you can would, hide in there indefinitely because you have cheese. This is the second time you've referenced having a human inside of cheese, either embalmed in cheese <laughs> or in a fort of cheese. So I think there's a there's a, there's some deeper. Uh... All right. So back to this extra cheese, all these extra cheese bits. So not wanting to waste anything, Frey, who again was Swiss, and you know how Europeans and Germans can be about uh, being frugal, 
Uh, he had all of these broken bits of Swiss cheese shipped back to the original cheese-making factory in Monroe, uh, where he spent the next two years tinkering with these these weird pieces of Swiss cheese on his home stove. And in 1918, he had his second big epiphany. The first was that uh, Liederkranz. Uh, this time, he discovered that if he mixed the broken bits of Swiss cheese with other cheese byproducts, yeah. as well as the whey left over from yeah. the cheese, he created this smoothie, kind of velvety consistency product, which he named Velveeta. Stop uh, it. Yeah. Okay. So, isn't that pretty awesome? Um, and, you know, I had never put the word velvet and Velveeta together. I know that that's kind of, you know, revealing something there, but uh, it I've never licked velvet. So I guess I never really thought of like velvet as being a foodstuff uh, consistency that I would like. But well, but, how about that? The fact that Velveeta has been around since like 1920. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's a uh, it is a right? long and, and again, it's probably this... the original block if it's in that that. You know, that space foil that they put <laughs> yeah, it in yeah. might be the original Velveeta. It, it probably has uh, not a speck of mold on the original block, um, uh, which, which again, was one of, the, uh, one of the, the benefits of this process is that by having less moisture and uh, adding these sort of extra byproducts in there, it made it less perishable, uh, which meant that you didn't have to store it under refrigeration. Now, the Velveeta that we buy today is not that original recipe. It has been... Uh, sort of concocted to be less cheese and more other things, um, which yeah. kind of inspired uh, having to change the name from uh, from cheese to cheese food or cheese spread. So Velveeta, being the first of these uh, real industrial cheeses, uh, was super popular, and uh, it, it really became this ubiquitous um, product throughout the nation. And the Velveeta, um, Monroe, as a cheese company, eventually failed. Velveeta set up its own cheese company, and then uh, Kraft Foods bought it in 1927. So Kraft is probably the first thing you think of when you think of sliced cheese, right? That's yeah, the, the Kraft slices. The Kraft slices, the yeah. uh, all-American grilled cheese sandwich. I mean, it melts perfectly, uh, almost scarily how, how good it melts, and it has that nice pull and flavor. Um, so let's talk about Kraft, right? So there's uh, there's right, a big let's. history. Let's talk about Kraft. So uh, Kraft was uh, was Canadian. Uh, his name was James L. Kraft. Uh, and I say Canadian like that's uh, like he was from outer space, but you know, can can Canadian is not a bad thing. enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you were almost, didn't you almost get detained in Canada here recently? It was an international oh, incident. Oh, that's all. Oh, my God. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. <laughs> well, this was, again, didn't put in my mother's hip, but was detained by Border Patrol. And yeah, that was a that was a thing. Well, we're gonna have to sign off now so I can get another cocktail because I'm still not over that. But anyway, okay. yeah, we won't uh, we won't pick that scab. But the Canadians um, were very nice. Well, that's good. I'll that's say good. that as they were putting you in handcuffs and uh, pushing your head down into the back of the car, they were very polite. Um, so our Canadian friend James O'Craft, um, he was not so much as a cheesemaker, but he was kind of more of a scientist, uh, and he really studied kind of how milk functions. Uh, it, it was sort of a dairy scientist, I guess you would say. And he expanded on the processes that our friend Emil Frey discovered. And after much of his own experimentation at his Chicago boarding house um, in his little personal kitchen, he uh, created this product, which he received a patent for, uh, and he called it process cheese with no ED, process cheese. And what he did was he heated cheddar cheese to 175 degrees for 15 minutes while whisking continuously, which, you know, if you've ever whisked uh, homemade whipped cream, 15 minutes of continuous whisking uh, in 1927 was probably um, 
you know, a uh, kind of an ordeal. He probably had like a Popeye style forearms there. Um, but he would add whey and additional emulsifiers with the intention of making a cheese that could be shipped without refrigeration and that was easily sliceable. Um, and this invention really it revolutionized and further industrialized the concept of processed cheese. James's brother, Norman Kraft, in around 1935, uh, now he was the head of the research at the Kraft uh, company there. He further developed this production process by pouring liquefied cheese into a cold stainless steel mold. So rather than making a block of cheese that you then sliced, he basically made these uh, flat cheese uh, platforms uh, yeah. that he would roll out with an iced rolling pin. So yeah. again, which is pretty, uh, pretty ingenious, um, but it made it easier to slice and it didn't stick together quite as much. So he solved these manufacturing difficulties by creating this elaborate contraption that ran liquid pasteurized cheese through this chill roll that again resembled this large rolling pin and it created these long ribbons of cheese that were then cut into three inch squares and then eight slices were stacked on top of one another and then the whole thing was was wrapped to package this peelable uh, and i put that in quotes block of cheese slices uh, if you ever bought one of the non-individually wrapped blocks yeah yeah Peelable the is the idea. Ones. Yeah, but it's not always peelable. There are definitely yeah. times where, unless it's got a piece of wax paper between there, that you end up getting this random little corner of cheese that uh, you'd have to yeah. just eat, and then you keep eating it as you try to pick the thing apart. So like finding the end of the tape. Yeah, exactly right. Then you're stuck with that stupid little piece that won't cover anything yeah. and uh, can't make a grilled cheese with a random corner of cheese. So in comes someone outside of the craft company, the guy named uh, Arnold Naraki in 1956. He shocked the processed cheese world with a patent. Shocked them. And it was shocking uh, for an apparatus that produced individually wrapped cheese slices. And he noted that, uh, rightly so, that products like Kraft Deluxe and its imitators, he said, quote, the cheese slices often stick together and a consumer has considerable difficulty in trying to separate the individual slices without tearing them. So his machine showed that there was a, a method, a, a way to wrap individual slices, and he would take a slice-like slab of cheese in a transparent pliant wrapper. Um, and that's what we know today as sort of these yes, individual yeah. cellophane wrapped. Yeah, slices. exactly. Uh, and if you uh, if you're interested, if you if you go onto YouTube and watch the a video of of this stuff shooting off the rollers and being wrapped, it is a sight to behold. I mean, it is really something amazing to see how quickly that stuff just shoots off of there. So that sounds terrifying as well. And I can put a I'll put a link to yeah. on our Facebook. Yeah, yeah. let's do you that. Know, our... uh, generally, when we do those, we can't put the just the link as the post because then Facebook hides it because it's oh, taking yeah, yeah. you away from Facebook. So I usually put a picture and then the uh, comments has the actual link. Link in the comments. We're we're being tricky like that. There's some chicanery happening there. So, what's well, a... speaking of chicanery, because American cheese is a processed food, so it gets a you know doesn't get a lot of respect. There's a lot of chicanery with it. Like you don't see a decent Gouda being glopped into a tiny little cup at the movies with some stale nacho chips. <laughs> you know, it's that American cheese, and P.S., those are not nachos. Yeah. So I mentioned this to you the other day, and I don't think you ever saw it, the viral TikTok cheese challenge. No, I have not seen it. So this was a couple of years back, a viral phenomenon where uh, a, some people would toss shiny, shiny squares of that rubbery processed cheese slices at their babies. Nice. So the the... 
the cheese sticks to the baby's face. It's extremely adhesive. It surprises the babies because, you know, they're babies and they don't, they don't see it coming. Um, some babies laugh and some, you know, take the opportunity to eat the cheese. They all make like really funny faces. Some I expect are traumatized and will um, grow up to murder dairy farmers, but it's all, it's all pretty amusing. So in an article in the Washington Post that was titled, Humanity is Doomed, they talked about it and said it all started with this guy named Charles uh, Amara, and he posted a Facebook video of himself tossing a slice of American cheese onto his baby. And the baby looked there, was looking surprised, you know, blinking with its one uncheese <laughs> eye. And uh, somebody thought it was funny, copied his video, and he tweeted it out separately, like this stranger tweeted it out, saying, I just cheesed my little brother. And he got 8 million views on Twitter for it and became viral. Wow. So he was getting calls from, you know, Newsweek and the newspapers. We want to, we want to put this in people magazine. And he, he suddenly overwhelmed and he's like, it's not really my video. <laughs> so we had to take it down and apologize to the, uh, the parents, but I don't think anyone apologized to the baby. Yeah, that would be appropriate as they should. Um, so depending on what kind of person you are, you either think this whole thing is hilarious or it's grounds to call Child Protective Services. <laughs> um, but my favorite quote, I was uh, listening to this pediatrician. Her name is Dr. Diane Hess, and she really, she really hit the nail on the head with this. Um, and I think this, I think this speaks to all families everywhere. When she said, "Why would you want to do that to a baby?" So there, there you go. Uh, in the, in the brilliant words of Dr. Diane Hess. So as you said, processed cheese is perfect for melting. So that is why we have Velveeta, as you said, and Cheese Whiz and Easy Cheese. Now you mentioned Velveeta and I, I wanna, I'm not gonna get into it. All I have to say is that it was the bomb growing up every Thanksgiving, my mom would make cauliflower and she would take Velveeta and she would add some milk to it and melt it down, uh, boil cauliflower and then pour the, uh, Velveeta over it and broil it. And mm. oh, it's, I still make it every year. Nice. And if you think that that is, you know, trashy, you can come at me. I will, I will, I will cheese you, dude, <laughs> because I don't want, I don't want to hear it. I'll wait for your apology. So then there's Cheese Whiz, and that's the one in the jar. Now, Kraft developed Cheese Whiz um, for all of the people who couldn't stand all of that work of the Kraft singles preparation where you have to unfold the sem the cellophane and then remove the cheese slice. So now you can just take a jar and you can just spoon it directly into your, into your mouth. You could use your fingers if a spoon was too much work. <laughs> but Cheese Whiz wasn't made by and for Americans who are trying to you know, do away with all that laborious cheese chewing. It was really developed as an easy way to make Welsh rarebit. Have you mm. had Welsh rarebit? I have, yeah, I have. It's like a cheese toast, basically, yeah. you know, but the, you kind of make a kind of a fondue of beer and butter and Worcestershire and put it under the broiler. It's pretty basic. It's I, I don't think it's as exciting as some people do. But anyway, Cheese Whiz is perfect for that because it's flavored. And by the way, Cheese Whiz is spelled with a Z because it can't be called cheese because it doesn't contain actual any actual cheese. So it's Cheese Whiz with a Z, not Cheese Whiz with an S because Cheese Whiz with an S goes not Z. <laughs> is that do their you know official jingle? I like that. Do you like that? Because you have no idea good. what that is, do you? I, of course I do. It's don't. time <laughs> for Stop the Striker. Uh, never know oh, where that's coming. This one's, this one's a really short one. This super famous icon of Broadway and 
television as well and film. Her um, her theme song was her name, not Cheese Whiz, but I've I have substituted Cheese Whiz. So her name was Cheese Whiz with a Z, not Cheese Whiz with an S, because Cheese Whiz with an S goes snuds. And she has a, an album named after that. She was just very recently featured on the Oscars. She is in my all-time favorite movie, Arthur. She is royalty, MGM movie royalty. Do you know who she is? It's got to be Liza Minnelli. Yes! Got to be Liza Minnelli. Although yes. I've not heard. No, she didn't sing a song about Cheese Whiz, just to clarify. No, right? she says, Liza with a Z, not Lisa with an S, because Lisa with an S goes snubs. And it's so much easier than singing Cheese Whiz with a Z. <laughs> I, I want you all to try that. I noticed, you were, right I noticed you were struggling a bit with that. Like you, I could see that you, the gears were turning as you were trying to it's sing the really Cheese Whiz. It's really hard. Let's take a break, quick break. All of you in the car, ready? Go. You can't do it, can you? Okay, so anyway. <laughs> So you got it. And for those of you paying attention, our last stuff, The Straight Guy, was based on a movie that became a musical in which the narrator said, my mother had not had a hot meal for herself in 15 years. You love my red cabbage, Ralphie. And the movie was made into a Broadway musical, was a Christmas story. I, I feel like I might have gotten that one, didn't did I? Maybe you get I, it? I think I did. I don't know. I'm, I'm so used to not getting them that I should be, uh, it should stick with me when I get them. But I know that movie and I know that line. So anyway, that was good. Maybe you did. Okay. Um, okay. So anyway, Cheese Whiz is spelled with a Z and I can't go into that anymore because it's too hard. So the first listed and most prominent ingredient in Cheese Whiz is whey. And as you mentioned, whey is a milk protein uh, byproduct. So if you are making cheese when the cheese curds are separated from the liquid, that is the whey. So Cheese Whiz is largely comprised of the way and salt and flavorings and chemicals that give it eternal life <laughs> in a neon yellow light, uh, neon yellow color. So it's also cheese whiz is known as the default topping of a Philly cheesesteak, cheesesteak yeah, with whiz. I uh, I didn't know that until researching for this episode. I've had a chili feast. feast. I don't know how to say that. I've had one of those sandwiches that I can't pronounce. I had no idea that whiz was involved. Yes, at Pat's and Gino's, those are the two most legendary South Philly cheesesteak spots. Pat's even has a, a whiz warehouse with 2,500 cases. Wow. And each of the case has six of those really large number 10 cans. You know, those big number oh, yeah. 10 cans. Those are the big cans of like tomatoes, the really large ones that you folks might see uh, in a, in a, in a, I don't, I don't know where you are. Where a wholesaler. Maybe right? a one of these, Costco. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Costco. You might see. Yeah. Um, but then they keep in about another 300 in the restaurant. And also at Gino's, the manager there said that on a busy day, they'll go through eight or 10 cases a day. Wow. That's impressive. Uh-huh. Not as impressive as this. If you apply Cheese Whiz to a blood stain, let it sit for five minutes, toss it in the wash. The enzymes in Cheese Whiz will take it out as well as possibly grease stains. Yes. That is, yeah, that, that should be on what? every can or should be what? on the label. Yeah. Try, try to get control of your car again, people. <laughs> and if what? you cut, yeah, if you cut yourself opening the can of Cheese Whiz, I mean, it's a win-win. Right, exactly. So, evolving from Kraft Singles and Cheese Whiz came the marvelous invention. This is where I'm going: spray cheese, or fizz cheese, or squeeze cheese, or under today's Kraft branded name, Easy Cheese. So, this is the cheese in the can, where one can simply push a nozzle, and fluorescent cheese slowly snakes out like so much edible silly string. <laughs> so yeah. where does this come from and how does it work? So in 1965, a product came out 
called Snackmate. And it had this mod 1960s kind of Jetson background that I really love. I love the label on it. And in 1967, Nabisco CEO is a guy named Lee Bickmore. He wanted to increase Nabisco's cracker sales. So he was searching for a product that would kind of partner with the crackers to assist in that. And he said, here's the quote, <laughs> you're going to love this. You're going to, this one's for the ladies. You ready? He said, we try to figure out what the gals want, even though they might not know themselves. Then we develop the product. <laughs> they don't know what they want. They don't know what's good for them. So, so he was trying to figure out what you gals want. So uh, they have, of course, all these print ads, print ads of a guy leaning over a large block of cheese showcasing the snack mate cans because it shows that ladies the men have taken the cheese and put it in a can for you we figured it out for you but the ones where the products were being used was a manicured mom hand prepping ritz crackers with the cheese and slices of like slices of the pimento stuffed olives nice and by now i think you all know that i really have a thing for vintage ads and advertising history. And I, I, I just love advertising. So I was really looking into that. And I have to say that the old ads kind of really sold me. Like there, there's this print ad of a, a picnic hamburger and it's on a checkered tablecloth. And the mom hand is spraying cheese with a smiley face onto the burger. Nice. And I'm like, I can see how that would appeal to people. Yeah. You know, you, you can just put that can in the picnic hamper and you'd be ready to like do it on on site, you know, or it can be ready in the cabinet in case of entertaining emergencies. In fact, their tagline was instant cheese for instant parties. And instant parties pop up around me constantly. I'm always reaching for an instant food for the instant parties that I instantly inspire. Well, that is my that is my life, actually, <laughs> uh, with like hors d'oeuvres. My God, they love this stuff for hors d'oeuvres because it has a kind of a decorative nozzle, which, uh, you know, not quite a star tip, but a decorative nozzle. And that serves a dual purpose of having the slots up the side, first of all, to make it decorative, the cheese, but also it keeps the airflow going so you can still spread the cheese if some idiot just presses the nozzle directly against the cracker and clogs it all. But in the middle of the last century, uh, scientists were mostly spending their time looking for new uses for a cherry tomato. So you cut it in half and you artfully spooge a little cheese <laughs> on there. But they never tell you you have to cut the bottom off the tomato too. Otherwise, they're just rolling around it's, the yep. plate like these drunken Yep, seasick killers. Yep. Yeah. Um, so they showed, you, they showed uh, the product being put on hot dogs, uh, onto tomato soup. Like, I'm like, okay, all right, a little, you know, cheese whizzy or not. It's not actually cheese whiz. It's... Uh, uh, the, the, the snack made a little snack made on the soup or scrambled eggs on celery. Yeah. Which makes an instant order. And by the way, by the way, I was looking, I was reading something the other day and I heard somebody define celery as it's just water made hard. <laughs> I've heard, I've actually heard it described as crunchy water, which is a variant of that. But I, I love the flavor of celery. In fact, we're going to do a show on celery. In fact, yes, we are. Yeah. I, so we'll, we'll put a, put a tag on that one. Well, so again, going back to being this, you know, kind of advertising geek, what I really appreciated was that Snackmate was blurring the line between product and packaging. Because what are they really selling? Are they selling the cheese or are they selling the novelty of the spray and the convenience sure. of making elegant and refined snacks? The lifestyle. So in, yeah, that's yeah, what it the is. They're selling the lifestyle. The cheesy lifestyle. It came in different flavors. American cheddar, pimento, French onion, and the mysterious shrimp cocktail. Whoa. Flavored. Whoa. Yeah. And it, Snackmate uh, 
reigned supreme, the, the big cheese, until <laughs> Nabisco merged with Kraft. What does Nabisco stand for, Hans? Oh, the uh, National Biscuit Company. That's correct. Thank I learned for, that on a podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, th- when Nabisco merged with Kraft in the early 80s, and then it became Kraft Easy Cheese. So here's the thing. I'm like, what does it look like inside that can? I was, that, that really, I was very curious about that. And I thought, I wonder if I should get a can and cut it, or should I just go ask the internet? Because that's the, like the miracle today. If you have a stupid question, you type it in <laughs> and some idiot has already asked it and taped it on YouTube. Yeah. So the, the I know technology's the there. Yeah. And there's lasers now that can cut through anything. So yeah, let's do No, it. no. The idiots I'm watching are using like drills and <laughs> axes, literally. Yeah. So each can is pressurized and there's a plate inside the can that kind of acts like a piston that's between the pressurized air and the cheese. So the cheese is never touching the propellant because otherwise then it would be an aerosol cheese and you would get cheese mist, which PS product idea. (laughs) (laughs) And so then they add the propellant through, you know, you ever notice there's a little rubber plug at the base of some of these cans. So the propellant goes in there and when you squeeze the nozzle, it allows the propellant to expand, which pushes the piston up and pushes the cheese out. Brilliant technology. And it allows the cheese to be squirted right side up or sideways or upside in, down. In space, you could squeeze the cheese. In space, no one can hear you cheese. <laughs> or squeeze. I love it. So um, I wondered, can I see the inside of the can, Internet? And Internet was like, hell yeah, you can see the inside of the can. <laughs> Click here. So there's these YouTubers who performed every experiment I wanted. They pulled the rubber gasket out and then tried to squeeze the cheese. And of course, nothing happened because they had taken the pressure out, which I found very satisfying. And I said, internet, can you tell me what happens if you puncture a can? And internet's like, <laughs> yeah, come over here. And some idiot drilled into a can and the cheese came out of this can in this like forceful geyser, just like this really direct little geyser of cheese that shot a good 40 feet it shot wow. over this guy's shoulder, over his backyard fence, and onto his driveway. That's impressive. I was like, yay, internet. Thank you. And now the product is rebranded. It went from all this instant, you know, refined food thing to more of a college bro dude food. Because you can just spray it right into your mouth, right? Or drill holes in it or whatever. <laughs> um, so the manicured mom hand doing frilled ribbons onto bruschetta-wrapped asparagus has been replaced with Molly Schuyler. Molly Schuyler has a YouTube channel called Mom Versus Food. So this woman empties 24 cans into a baking dish. There's half a pound of cheese in a can. That's 12 pounds of easy cheese. Wow. And I'm kind of fast forwarding through this because I'm like, you know, she's going to like weigh it and mold it into a cow or something like that. So I'm fast forwarding to see what she does when suddenly she picks up a serving spoon and she sets a kitchen timer and she ate it all. All. All 12 pounds Whoa. of craft easy cheese. And she didn't want to look like she was cheating. So she scraped the sides of the baking dish and she licked the spoon. She ate 12 pounds of easy cheese in 20 minutes. Yeah. Did anybody say anything nice at her funeral? <laughs> right? Oh my I God. I, but you know what she said? She said at the end, she goes, oh, I'm not going to lie. This is probably one of the tougher challenges I've done at home. Wow. Wow. That's all. One of the tougher challenges. She can keep that, uh, that accolade. I'm not going to, I'm not going to touch that one. I found another guy named Andrew Maxwell Parrish. He made an easy cheese 3D printer. Nice. 
yeah, he made the Leaning Tower of Pisa. <laughs> so the can is upside down and it's attached to a robotic arm, which he had 3D printed himself. So it starts off with kind of like this practice spooge, and then it begins rotation in this perfect little cheese circle. And it just keeps, you know, winding on top of itself like a snake. And about three inches up, though, it gets stuck and just starts continuing to lay on the cheese string in the same spot. And obviously, the cheese structure cannot bear that kind of weight. Yeah. yeah. It's, not very, not, it's yeah. not structurally sound. Right. So I thought, I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. Um, and lastly, the more I typed in about all this and read, I was last night, I was like, I have to have some easy cheese because I used to have it as a little kid and I remember liking it because it was so salty that it was kind of harsh and sort of burned yeah and I thought you know I want to I want to eat some also I was watching a video of French people uh, called French people try easy cheese and one woman described it one woman described it as a mixture between salty and sweet but at the same time it's neither and really acidic and yeah. I'm like, you know what? Screw you. I'm headed to the supermarket. <laughs> I was jealous. So, when, uh, when you said you were going out, I kind of wanted to, to tag along for them. It was very exciting. I went and got uh, American cheese and cheddar and some cheese Whiz. I think all the rest of the flavors have been discontinued. Um, it looks like there might be an elusive cheddar and bacon still out there, but I couldn't even find it on the internet. But mm. It looks like it might still be being made. So I had the American and cheddar. They basically have the exact same ingredients, but they change the salt and acid proportions of them to differentiate between the cheeses. Um, they were kind of rubbery, but they were sort of fun. I asked my son, I'm like, hey, you want to spray some cheese? And he's 16. He's like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I thought that would be fun. I thought, yeah, I thought he would jump on that. Yeah. No, he's like, no, he's not interested. But I enjoyed it. And I had opened a bottle of red wine and <laughs> crappy cheese on crackers. I did buy water crackers, although I really wanted a Triscuit. I bought water crackers so, so as not to, uh, you know, taint the. Yeah, um, you have to have a neutral base there. Oh, hold on. Hans, sorry to interrupt. Let me just get the door here. Let's see who it is. Oh, it's today's sponsor, Pure Cane, all natural, zero calorie sweetener. Well, come on in. Pure Cane, have a seat. Pure Cane is a zero-calorie sugar replacement that is naturally derived, and here's the best part. It tastes just like sugar and bakes just like sugar. Use it wherever sugar is used without the negative effects of sugar. It's got great flavor, so you don't have to compromise on taste like when you're using those old-school artificial sweeteners with that metallic tang. You can use all-natural, sustainable Pure Cane for a zero-calorie, zero-net-carb, vegan, gluten-free, keto-friendly option in all of your favorite recipes. So, for example, Pure Cane, uh, we have Grandma Grace's Cranberry Orange Cake that we did that in our cranberry episode. It's got two cups of sugar. What is the ratio to swap you out? Oh, it's one-to-one, is it? Well, that makes it very easy, Pure Cane. Well, also, this cake is really sweet because we take uh, orange juice and sugar and we make a drizzle, pours over the cake and is absorbed into it. And then we take whatever's left and re-pour that into the cake until it's all absorbed in there. It's a lot of sugar, Pure Cane. Can you make this healthier? You can. Better for me and for, um, for the planet. All right. I see you, Pure Cane. If you want to see Pure Cane, head over to purecane.com right now and enter promo code BUTIDIGEST for 30% off your first order. That's purecane.com, P-U-R-E-C-A-N-E. Enter promo code BUTIDIGEST, 30%. Thanks for dropping by, Pure Cane. Oh, look, I got you a slice of Grandma Grace's cranberry cake to go. But hey, hey, I want that Tupperware back. Um, I also tried the Cheese Whiz. And Dan and I decided that we were really surprised by Cheese Whiz because it has the most flavor. 
Um, but I think that's because it actually has garlic in it and molasses and Worcestershire. So it's actually got some flavoring in it. So that was my, that was my experiment. And um, uh, I'm sure when you come here in a couple of weeks, there will still be easy cheese left over if you want to try I think it. when I, when I come to your 90th birthday party and in far into the future, we're still going to have those same cans sitting on the shelf. No, and... you know that one night I'm just going to be sitting around drinking too much <laughs> bourbon and I'm going to be like, is there any easy cheese? <laughs> We got any of that easy cheese left? A night that Nate and Dan are both out yep. and it just gets ugly here. And then I'm like just taking the peanut butter and spreading it on everything. We could like, uh, we could make our own, call it like lonely man squeeze cheese or something like that. So all those <laughs> oh, nights when you- I've seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's enough of that chicanery. That is processed cheese for you. So it's time for us to process some new thoughts with our recipes. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So I have to be honest, the processed cheese food is not something that is in my normal uh, lineup of everyday foods, but I do have a great recipe, uh, and this was actually shared a friend of mine who swears he's allergic to cheese, uh, but really secretly just doesn't like it. Um, his ex-wife, and this might be uh, part of the inspiration for the ex uh, prefix in her name, ex-wife, um, one Christmas party, she brought this fudge. And it was a hit. Everybody loved this. The, the, you know, the glass Pyrex tray of fudge got totally consumed. And as we were sort of licking the fudge off our fingers going, that was really satisfyingly good fudge. She had this very devilish look on her face and she goes, you know, I made it with Velveeta. And my dear friend, Brad, who uh, is a listener of the podcast, he turned as white as a ghost. Uh, he was our allergic cheese guy. But sure enough, it made for a um, this really great texture, velvety smooth Are uh, you chocolate kidding? fudge. I'm not Velveeta kidding. Velveeta fudge. Velveeta fudge. Now, All right, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening. Was, you got my you know, This is one of those recipes that the headlining ingredient really does you you taste no Velveeta? Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. It is the skeleton around which this thing is based because again, it's that consistency. Well, that, it's uh, adding oil. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's yep. adding creaminess, I guess. And, well, those and the whey and those emulsifiers. I mean, what makes Velveeta yeah. creamy is what's lending those properties. But no to flavor. The fudge. No, no, no taste of cheese. That's there's literally surprising. no taste of cheese. I had no idea. And I'm, you know, I, I pride myself. Where did she myself. get this recipe? This, this. Madman. Well, it was probably from a uh, book on how to divorce your husband in forty easy steps. I don't know, uh, but I it when you Google uh, chocolate Velveeta fudge, there's a lot of variations of this. So it is um it is a, a fairly popular uh, and for some reason around holiday parties, it seems to be a Christmas tradition. Yeah, oh, Maybe. this is totally yeah that yeah that trashy kind of food that we all love at a yep. holiday party. You know, somebody brings something healthy and we're like, no, give me something with the mini marshmallows. Well, just like in Talladega Nights, this would be the uh, the fudge you would eat when you're celebrating baby Jesus, the baby Jesus, not the adult Jesus, but the baby Jesus, uh -huh. you, you would have the <laughs> bit of fudge. Um, okay. But anyway, so I uh, will put this up on the website. Um, and it's, uh, like I said, it's it's worth a, you can always, you know, like add your own twist to it. Uh, but it makes a pretty solid foundation for a fudge that uh, that you can make it part of your holiday traditions. Wait, what kind of just real quick? Yeah, I, I don't want to I don't want to stick around on this fudge too long, but what other ingredients are in it? So we basically? got, we got cocoa powder unsweetened. You've got uh, powdered sugar, which, you know, you could always substitute for, uh, for pure cane. Uh, oh, it would work just cane. as well. Yep. Um, so, uh, and it's got butter, which of course adds even more goodness, a little vanilla extract. You can add uh, any kind of nuts you want. Uh, and for the most but part, cocoa powder. Yeah. The powder. 
Okay. Okay. With, not like blocks of cocoa. And I guess maybe that's part of the, the difference when you, you know, Dan makes uh, brownies and he's using chocolate squares, you know, squares of cocoa. Well, and that's where he's getting that oil and stuff. Yeah. From. Yeah. Well, I think since Dan was the one who recommended this as a topic today, we should challenge Dan to make a Velveeta chocolate brownie and see what comes up. He's probably just going to wrinkle his nose and say, why would I do that? Oh, he would totally do that. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I had to do a cocktail based on all of these. And I thought, you know what? Let's talk about the Huey because that's what we talked about. You like that's that's what we call uh, the liquid H in theater, the Huey. Huey, I didn't realize you put the that. H, you put the H in front of the W. That's class. This drink is whiskey and Huey. <laughs> so it's um, kind of a version of clarified milk punch. Now, clarified milk punch, we could do, we could really focus on in an episode, but just briefly, it's goes back to the 1600s. It's a punch that involves boiling milk, uh, adding it to brandy and water, lemon and sugar, and then you strain out the solids. And believe it or not, it comes out clear. Oh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really so interesting, clarified milk punch. So, you know, once you're, boi once you're taking out those solids, you're basically using the whey, right? I mean, that's really what you're left with. So using whey in place of an egg white, really works well. So if I'm making a sour, like a whiskey sour, I love to put an egg white in there. Uh, the whey will act as the emulsifier and bind those ingredients together, give that cocktail the texture I love. So it's good for sours and similar style cocktails. Um, now you can make your own whey simply by straining the full fat yogurt that you have for half an hour. You know, when I open up my yogurt and you see that on the top, that's just the whey that's on the top. Yep. And that can last for up to six months in your fridge. Now, you're not going to get the nice heady foam that you get with an egg white, but uh, it still works. And, um, you know, people are using aquafaba in place of egg white. Right. So the, the way is this uh, the, another idea. I've also seen bartenders just use water directly from the burrata. You know that burrata cheese, that oh, yeah, oh, perfect it. little pouch of love it. softness, and it's got all that water, and that, that water has been used as well. So in this whiskey and whey, um, it's basically a sour with whiskey and a maple simple syrup, mm. uh, some lemon, a little bitters, uh, just a really, a really fun wintry drink. If you wanted to uh, stretch it or make it a little less alcoholic, you could definitely make it uh, with the addition of some tea. In so you're, well. what you're saying is you could make it in multiple ways. I was. That's exactly what I was going yes. to say. Well, it, yeah. and it, that, that seems on point for my cheesy sense of humor. Okay, it took you a long time to get there. So wait a minute. So just briefly, you said something to me earlier that you didn't put in the podcast. What were you saying about Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah, so we were talking about uh, the the Bismarck cheese, and along the way, um, along the way, uh, this other cheese that was called Liederkranz. And you asked me what does Liederkranz mean, and I, being the bad person, didn't know what it uh, what it actually meant, but that it was named after a, a singing troupe. So right. uh, I've got a little more information for you on right. that. Well, that they, we know that information. We said it like thirty minutes ago. We were all here. No, no, no. But this is the information I want to share is that the singing group was a New York singing society called Liederkranz, and it included Theodore Roosevelt, uh, conductor Leopold Damrosch, who must be somebody famous, and one time Yankees owner Jacob Rupert. That's um, so funny. Yeah. So, so Teddy Roosevelt sang with them. Yeah. He, I, mean, I don't know. I can't speak to the quality of his voice, but yeah, he was mm. uh, he was part of that troupe. 
Can we wrap up this song? I've got to head out with the Rough Riders. Let's squeeze on out of here. That's uh, that was my Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> oh, that was your oh. Teddy. I got you. I just thought oh, that was. Oh gosh! You, uh, oh my God! People, you knew that was my Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> right? With the Rough Riders. Oh, uh, yeah. Can we yeah. finish the song? All right. So, if you would like any of these recipes, and who's not going to want a chocolate Velveeta fudge recipe? I know you. I know you. Go to our website, but I digest podcast.com email us whatever you know what people you're not emailing us don't think i haven't noticed email me uh but i digest podcast at gmail.com check us out on facebook and instagram at but i digest podcast and twitter at but i digest pod also on our website you're going to find a link to hans's line of spices as well as a link to download my cocktail book the new old bar new day every way <laughs> and uh we want to do a special thanks to our sponsor Pure Cane Natural Sweeteners. To our web designer, Hewitt Rabel. To our editor, Natalie DeChico. Special music by Corey Goodrich. And our theme music is by Brian Reyes. And if you're enjoying our show, will you help us grow? Will you please? And leave us a rating wherever you find us. Hansel? I think we are done, my friend. Are we done here? Let's do it. We're done. <laughs> <laughs>